Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about sports and politics. We have been reminded lately of the overlap between the two, and you add race into the equation, and it, of course, gets even more interesting. How long have we been talking, though, about this overlap and this relationship between our favorite pastimes and the difficult issues that uh, remain between us in this country. We're going to talk with a sports correspondent for The Nation, author of eight books on the politics of sports, about the history of that overlap and whether we are seeing something new right now or whether we're seeing something that is changing right now in a way that uh, that we ought to think about. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Also, remember, if you are just now walking into work or otherwise have to walk away from the radio, you can still catch the full edition of Detroit Today, all you got to do is go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and we you can listen to us whenever or wherever you like. Up first, President Trump visits Puerto Rico today. That's about two weeks after Hurricane Maria hit the island. More than half of the people there are still without clean drinking water. Imagine imagine what that's like. Uh, that's 3.4 million Americans who don't have clean drinking water, and only about 5% of them have power. Those who don't might not get their power back for months. Contact between Puerto Ricans on the mainland and their loved ones on the island is still very spotty, and uh, many people are still waiting to hear if family and friends are okay. As criticism mounts to the Trump administration's handling of the crisis, which he has defended, but lots of people have said is just as bad, if not worse, than the Bush administration's response to Katrina, the president took to Twitter again over the weekend to criticize the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico's capital. Trump accused Mayor Carmen Yulin Cruz of Poor leadership, and he he suggested that uh, Puerto Rico is not doing enough to quote help itself. Think about how loaded that language is. Do we ever talk about uh, white communities, poor white communities, helping themselves? This is part of the the sort of lingo that gets foisted, I think, upon minority communities. But now, the Trump says he is going to the island and he's going to survey the damage. We want to start today talking about Puerto Rico, and we've got two guests who will help frame the issue in two very different ways. Carrie Dugan is a consultant with Sustainability, working on some efforts here in Detroit to assist victims of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And Jim Milstein is founder of Milstein and Company, a firm that specializes in financial advising and restructuring. Uh, That firm was working with Puerto Rico for three years under the previous Government. Jim has also advised the UAW in contract negotiations and is a former chief restructuring officer at the U.S. Treasury Department. He's also doing some relief work in Puerto Rico related to the hurricane uh, Carrie. And Jim, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for Thank having us. Thank you. Yeah. Glad, glad to be here. Yeah. Carrie, let's start with you. Uh, last week, we talked with someone you know pretty well uh, about Puerto Rico, J.J. Velez was here talking about his efforts to reach his family uh, on the island. Uh, You share a household with uh, (laughs) J.J., among other things. Uh, He's your husband. And so I I, want to first start with an update to that story. When we talked with J.J. last week, he was still waiting to hear 
what had happened to uh, uh, to his family in in Puerto Rico. I understand that some things have progressed. Yes, th- thanks for having me on, Stephen, mm-hmm. and and for covering Puerto Rico. Um, this is uh, the situation there is not going away anytime soon. So I appreciate your persistent uh, attention to it. So JJ, my husband, did hear from family. Um, his cousin uh, actually got through to him via Facebook, which is the best they could do. And um, the verdict is that they feel like a bomb went off in their community. Uh, He did talk to his best friend who was able to get down and evaluate their house, and he said that anything that was not cement is gone. I think we've all read about the greenery greenery being gone, Mm -hmm. um, which is tragic because that's part of, you know, building resilience in a community. And I think the other notable things his cousin said was that they get up around 4 a.m., to go and get fuel, wait for five to seven hours in line so that they can have enough fuel to have air conditioning in the evening so they can sleep. That means during the day they're just suffering through Caribbean heat. Um, And if this tells you anything about the spirit of Puerto Ricans, um, they were singing Christmas songs to help keep themselves cool (laughs) and wishing for a cold beer. So their spirit is there, but it is in dire circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did 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 he hear anything about... Uh, the 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 casualties uh, about and it's it's great news that his family is not among them but I would imagine that the devastation in that sense is also overwhelming. We haven't heard any updated numbers, but luckily our immediate family in Puerto Rico is is safe for now. Um, but you guys are reading the reports, the food, the the water. It's um, I, right. Just that hoping does, for that, the best. That says nothing about the long term exactly. prognosis for people being able to survive. Uh, without clean drinking water, uh, without power. Uh, Did they talk at all about the relief efforts and what they look like from the island? Communications are still so spotty, Stephen, that we're not hearing um, much about who's reaching them at all. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. It was just a very quick report out on how they're doing, and that was already... I think two days ago. But this idea of going to get fuel in yeah. the morning to drive to, to be able to run the just, air conditioning just at night. They can't afford to run anything during the day. Yeah. So yeah, uh, let, let's talk about the efforts that you're involved with here to try to assist victims in Puerto Rico. So Stephen, I'm not above poaching good ideas, and I've been <laughs> I've been lucky to be part of um, the community of expats. I'm now repatriated in Detroit. Um, and uh, I've been part of the Detroit homecoming that Crane's put on mm-hmm. for the last four years. And um, so JJ, as he mentioned on radio last week, has you know has been working on the idea. Why don't we do model something off of the Detroit homecoming for Puerto Rico? We have great ties um, and a lot of similarities um, economically and mm-hmm. culturally with mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, including the governor, who is a University of Michigan grad. Um, so we've been building off of that. We had a call over the weekend, um, and that's sort of Team Detroit getting together to see what we can do. And we're getting a lot of really amazing um, outreach from very important people uh, who have resources. Yeah. And that's about the long place, Stephen. So FEMA and, and Red Cross are going to do what they need to do in the immediate. And I'm monitoring that. You know, We're donating there. And if folks are looking to contribute, that's a great way to uh, get involved in the short term. But as my former boss, Vice President Biden, told me at the end of the administration, mm-hmm. it's always important to take the long view. So I think with a homecoming idea, we're looking at you know, six months out when the news cycle, I mean, it's terrible what just happened in Las Vegas, and we're going to have other news cycles come and go, and I appreciate, again, that you guys are giving so much attention to Puerto Rico, um, and that's where we're focused. We're focused on what happens, you know, when FEMA and Red Cross and the other agencies start, start pulling out and the power comes back on. Right. It reminds me of the efforts that President Obama um, had in Detroit. We were, uh, I was on the team uh, that President Obama sent into Detroit. 
um, when Barrett Bing was still the mayor, you know, was the mayor. Um, and that started back in 2011, 2012. So it was before, during, and after the bankruptcy, and it in a lot of different iterations. So I'm modeling what we plan to do in Puerto Rico off of what I've learned, frankly, from my graduate degree in federal <laughs> administration. And, and how frustrating is it to try to do that with this administration as opposed to the Obama administration? Well, I'm on the outside now, so that's the most notable. So um, it's frustrating watching from afar, mm-hmm. um, but I know there are some really outstanding federal civil servants. I know them well from my time at the U.S. Department of Energy that are working day in, day out to home to try and um, bring resources to bear, and I appreciate the heck out of them. I think in terms of leadership, uh, you don't need me to tell you what the history books are going to say about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think... Um, well, I have a lot of thoughts, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're here, to share those thoughts yeah. with the listeners. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the president has been very defensive of the effort so far. He's been very critical of the mayor of San Juan. Uh, he has politicized this by saying, well, it's Democrats who are stoking her frustration with this. But but it's hard to it's hard to match that up with just just the pictures that we have, just the sense that we have of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like the government was prepared to deal with something of this magnitude. Yeah. Well, I, I can speak to that in a couple of different ways. One, you know, I'm, I'm focused sort of on leadership and what it looks like. And from my experience under the previous president, uh, his leadership came out of his orientation as a community organizer. And that's why he sent a team into Detroit and several other communities um, to build capacity, to mm-hmm. provide technical support, and then resource would fall after that. And that's sort of the recipe that worked, I think, in Detroit. You won't read a lot about us, Stephen, but you knew we were here. Yes. Um, we were embedded in City Hall and trying to, to help out. I think that's a model that um, the Trump administration could follow. In addition to the emergency response, it's building out capacity and, and resource. And then from my time at the U.S. Department of Energy, um, folks in the Energy Efficiency Renewable Energy Office literally wrote the playbook on transition um, in islands mm-hmm. um, off of fossil fuel into renewable energy. And so there's quite literally um, writing about how to handle this transition you know, before a hurricane. So now we're post-hurricane. We're at a place where, um, I hate to say it, but this is, this is not the last time we're going to see this intensity and frequency right. of storms. It's happening more often. Yeah, the Pentagon. Look it up. Mm-hmm. They called climate change a threat multiplier. This <laughs> right. is not. This is kind of a problem. <laughs> this is not some wild so, lefty theory. Exactly. Here. So building resilience and preparedness needs to be the new normal yeah. as our culture from the top. Um, unfortunately, I think our culture from the top has a lot to do with, um, well. <laughs> Other things. <laughs> Other things. Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate because the artifacts of our Leadership actually do matter. Um, so I'm again, I'm focused on what I can do with my time. I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, Stephen. I'm not cool, um, but I'm taking the long view with my colleagues here in Detroit and with a bunch of frankly former um, colleagues from my White House days. There's a whole wonderful network of people who are spread out at NGOs and think tanks and uh, clean energy companies, and I'm working with that crew to figure out what we can do. Yeah, uh, Jim Milstein, uh, I, I want to get you to give us a sense given your work in Puerto Rico before the storm. This this was an island that was in significant financial trouble, of course, before. And here in Detroit, we're, we're no stranger to that. But but I want you to give us a, a sort of sense of what kind, what, what the magnitude of that trouble looked like uh, and how this storm uh, perhaps makes all of that much, much worse. 
Um, okay. So, you know, Puerto Rico uh, is a territory of the United States, not a state. It's a territory, and as such, it um, falls under the jurisdiction of the Congress of the United States, who right. has under the Constitution all power and authority to make rules and regulations for the territories. Um, I, I would say a significant portion of the population of Puerto Rico has been uh, lobbying to become a state for many decades. Uh, and there's a probably equally significant part of the population that thinks independence uh, in some relationship to the United States uh, is the right political relationship. And so that split on the island has um, is an important one because the politics on island have gone back and forth between one party and the other, and there's been very little policy consistency on island. But the truth is that the financial um, woes that the island is in is really a function of its relationship uh, to the United States. During the Cold War, um, having an island right at the gateway to the Caribbean, um, you know, 75 miles from Cuba, uh -huh. which was an ally of the Soviet Union, was a strategic asset for the United States military. Uh, there were many military bases on Puerto Rico, Air Force bases, Navy bases, um, all of which were uh, which provided enormous amounts of economic activity uh, during the 60s and 70s. But when the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union collapsed, um, uh, people will recall we had a base closing commission in the United States to um, to cash in the peace dividend uh -huh. that that was uh, supposed to create, and all of the bases on Puerto Rico were the first to be closed because it it has no senators, it has no representatives to advocate for their continuing uh, role in the defense footprint of the United States. So um, that began, um, the closing of the bases um, began a change and, the, and the, the end of the Cold War really began a change in the relationship of the island to the mainland. And suffice it to say, by the time you get to, um, uh, you know, 2006, one of the major tax advantages given to manufacturers to locate on the island um, expired and was not renewed. Uh, and so manufacturing employment fell uh, almost by half uh, in, the, in a few short years thereafter. Um, they had the same kind of uh, you know, bubble in real estate prices and construction and investment that the mainland had. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was instead of being financed in the capital markets, had been financed by the local banks. So when that real estate bubble burst, the banks burst with them, and their, all of their major banks became recipients of TARP uh, funds during the financial crisis uh, from the Treasury Department. Um, and they have, because of the lack of economic opportunity on island, they've, they've had a significant out-migration. Um, uh, the out-migration, you know, there are more people of Puerto Rican descent in the mainland today than there are on the island, probably uh -huh. 5 million um, Puerto Ricans uh, on the mainland, uh, and only three, three and a half million um, residents of the island. But the out-migration has been great. And so when you think about, and you know, this is where the parallel to Detroit is obvious, when a city's population is shrinking, when the ac economic activity in a city's geographical borders is shrinking, the government has a hard time <clears throat> cutting expenses fast enough right. to deal with a reduced population um, or, you know, 
dealing with the reality that revenues are going to shrink. And so your budget gets thrown very quickly out of balance. And unfortunately for um, Puerto Rico, the way they um, dealt with those imbalances in their budget was to borrow. Mm -hmm. And they borrowed heavily. The debt from 2002 to 2014 uh, almost doubled. Uh, and most of that debt was used to pay, in effect, operating um, uh, deficits. So rather than raising revenues to keep pace with expenses or cutting expenses to keep pace with reduced revenues, the government chose to borrow. And the money was plentiful and cheap. Uh, and, you know, but that, oh, those, those stories always end badly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as you saw in Detroit, and as you're seeing in Puerto Rico, um, so just to kind of finish the history of the story, the, the federal government recognized uh, the problem. Congress stepped up to its responsibilities and created a federal oversight board, a little bit like the emergency manager who was appointed to um, talk sense to the local government in Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, the federal government created an oversight board. Uh, as well as a Chapter 9-like statute for territories. Yeah. Uh, territories were not eligible to file under Chapter 9, uh, as originally um, conceived, and so the Congress created a whole new uh, territorial restructuring regime, which Puerto Rico is now in the midst of using. Yeah. And, and uh, so here in Detroit, for instance, a lot of people would say that after – Chapter 9 reorganization, you know, we emerged from that and we were ready to sort of hit the ground running again, trying to get services back up and running, enhance services and to grow, grow the population, grow the economy, all of those those really necessary things. Was Puerto Rico in a position uh, to do that uh, before the storm? No, I, you know, I think the, so the, let's think a little bit about how governments um, promote economic growth or deter economic growth. So Puerto Rico was devoting pre this restructuring they're now in 35% of their revenues to servicing legacy liabilities. That is debt that they had accumulated as well as pension and post-retirement uh -huh. um, health care. And those look, those, as long as those retirees are living within the boundaries of Detroit or Puerto Rico, making sure they're healthy and they have retirement security in effect, is buttressing the local economy because those, those elderly people are in, are spending money in the jurisdiction. But if your retiree population for whom you're responsible is off-island or outside the jurisdiction of Detroit, those payments that Detroit or Puerto Rico is making to its retirees are really buttressing the economies of wherever they retire, that's right. Florida, Arizona, et cetera. The average state in the United States um, spends only 8% of its budget on those legacy liabilities. So in the case of Puerto Rico, spending 35% of its budget on those legacy liabilities, a full quarter of the budget was being spent in servicing the promises of the past as opposed to making investments in education. And things that would and, matter now, and right? health and infrastructure, things that would promote, you know, a educated workforce, an entrepreneurial workforce, mm -hmm. a healthy workforce, and a and a and a, an infrastructure that attracted private investment. And so that, that, that um, budget imbalance 
focusing on investments in the past or paying off the promises of the past opposed to, you know, investing in the future is really the problem Puerto Rico faced pre-Maria. Right. And now they have it in spades yeah. because Maria devastated the electrical infrastructure, devastated the water infrastructure, devastated the roads and bridge infrastructure. And so, you know, if you think about, you know, what is critical to uh, future economic growth of any community, it's having clean water, you know, running electricity sure. and an ability to get from one end of the island to the other or one end of the jurisdiction to the other without congestion, without interruption and in a, in a way that facilitates, you know, communication. And so all of that is going to have to be rebuilt for Puerto Rico. And the real question is, well, the federal government. Who will, that's right. Who will, who will pay? Yeah. Who uh, this, will pay? Yeah. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Carrie Dugan. She's a consultant with sustainability, working on some efforts here in Detroit to assess, assist victims of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Also with us is Jim Milstein. He's the founder of Milstein and Company, a firm that specializes in financial advising and restructuring, was working in Puerto Rico for three years under the previous government. We're talking about what is going on now in Puerto Rico, uh, now that we're past the storm itself, dealing with the aftermath of it, but also trying to cast forward. What is the future looking like for Puerto Rico uh, six months from now, a year, four or five years from now? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577- 1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag us, we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Carrie, I wonder what you think the future of Puerto Rico looks like, given what Jim was just saying about this devastation to infrastructure and the the, the gross imbalance in, um, in spending uh, you know, between legacy costs and investment in the future. Yeah, I, I think a lot about the work we did, frankly, here in Detroit, Stephen, which the bankruptcy um, cleared an opportunity for the city to leapfrog into best of class yeah. from pretty shabby, right. right? So example in Detroit was uh, the conversion of their streetlights from high-pressure sodium to LED, um, and now they're it's a darling story yeah. for Detroit, and it's you know it's it's dramatically different. If you haven't been back to Detroit in a long time, it's time to come back down here and see it. Yeah. Um, but when you think about transportation, water, and energy infrastructure, as was just mentioned, uh, those systems are all incredibly aged throughout the country. Mm-hmm. I used to lug around um, a book with me when I was staffing Vice President Biden called the Quadrennial, Quadrennial Energy Review. <laughs> Look it up. Um, and I, I took that around with me because um, VP Biden was very curious to know. Um, about the infrastructure, no matter where we were traveling in the country, um, because it informs the economy of wherever we were traveling. Yeah. So when I think about Puerto Rico and I think about places like Detroit, I mean, I'm in this business of, of doing hard work um, because it needs to get done. Um, there's an opportunity to leapfrog here and think about um, the grid differently right. on the energy side. I've already had outreach, actually, from family members trying to figure out how do I get my my aunt, my elderly aunt, solar panels um, and how do we do that without messing up our insurance right, you know right. in these times so there's a lot of a lot to unpack in terms of how it gets done um, but I'm an, an optimist Stephen and I think that this is a real opportunity for Puerto Rico to 
uh, focus on preparedness and resiliency and build uh, infrastructure along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quickly, I know, Jim Milstein, that you have to, to, to go, but I've, I've got a question here that uh, that I think you can answer. Bill in Royal Lake and Royal Oak, uh, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, good morning. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, just had a quick question about uh, property rights and uh, enforcement of property rights on the island. Uh, all too often in the wake of uh, natural disasters, you know, Vulture capitalists will come in and create a new playground for rich people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering about, um, at, at the local level, uh, enforcement of uh, those rights and ownership. Yeah. Uh, Jim. Uh, yeah. So, uh, listen, I, you know, it, it, the, it's always in a, it's always, one field has a sense of ambivalence about um, uh, people taking advantage of a disaster, a natural disaster. I mean, the, the rule, but to answer your question, the rule of law you know, remains that this is a Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence um, with U.S. courts and local courts. And so I think property rights will be respected. But to go back to the, the, the ambivalence about vulture investors, I mean, at the end of the day, Puerto Rico is going to need people willing to bring capital on island to reinvest um, in uh, its property and its businesses and its infrastructure and its people. Yeah. And... Um, and, you know, risk takers, people who are prepared to put money to work in a disaster, I think, you know, as long as they play by the rules, are to be encouraged um, uh, because, you know, this is, a, this is truly a desperate situation. The federal government, has, as Carrie was just talking about, the federal government has, you know, had its own fiscal problems that have kept it from fulfilling, I believe, its obligations uh, to upgrade our infrastructure generally around uh-huh. the country. Yes. Uh, a natural disaster, you know, which destroys infrastructure such as it has in Puerto Rico, really raises the question about the role the federal government should be playing in making sure we have clean drinking water, we have um, sustainable uh, transportation networks, we have uh, an energy infrastructure that, you know, is, uh, sustainable and based on renewables. Um, and so it's in, that question is going to be called. I mean, President Trump's being on island today. Yeah. He's kind of putting a marker down and saying he's going to be there with the people of Puerto Rico. The question is how much will Congress be willing to spend? Yeah. And in the absence of Congress's willingness to spend, you know, it, this is going to be about private capital. This is going to be about people willing to take the risk of investing you know, their money off island, on island, and, you know, we're going to need to encourage those people. So I, my view is, Bill, as long as they play by the rules, um, you know, we should be encouraging anybody and anyone who is prepared to put capital to to back on island. Yeah. Okay. Carrie Dugan, consultant with Sustainability, working on efforts here in Detroit to assist victims of Hurricane Maria. I'm Jim Milstein, founder of Milstein and Company. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Up next, we're going to talk about the hallowed or not so hallowed ground of sports arenas, the overlap between sports, politics, and race in America. Stay with us on Detroit Today.